geopolitical issues, one man searches for intelligent conversation. From Dedham, Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy, this is You Don't Have to Yell with your host, Dan Sally. 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 Welcome to YDHTY, the home for the politically homeless and the podcast for those of you who like your politics and colors other than red and blue. Thank you for joining. And if this is your first time listening and you like what you hear today, please share this with one friend you think might like it too or more if you think there are more out there. Now, we were in the midst of a deep dive into the foundations of the global economy and we were planning on plumbing this issue deeper when a story broke this past Tuesday on a draft memo by the Supreme Court indicating they would overturn Roe versus Wade. This is the ruling that makes access to abortion legal federally for those of you who need explaining, which if you do, you're listening to the wrong podcast. Um, needless to say, I felt this issue was too important not to discuss, and it's also just the sort of issue this podcast was made for. So I invited Arjun Murthy, my friend from The Factual, to join me to discuss. And for those of you new to this podcast or who maybe just listened to a couple episodes prior, The Factual helps readers find the most accurate news by algorithmically ranking sources for accuracy and partisan bias and they routinely poll their readership on the issues of the day. Now, the Factual's readership spans the country and also spans our political spectrum, so it provides good insight into what America's thinking. And they ran two polls earlier this year on the subject of abortion, so I wanted to get a feel as to where those polls indicated Americans were on the subject. The short answer is that, as with most issues in this country, There is a large group of people stuck in between two extremes. And this issue specifically is one that is highly personal and emotional to many, and I hope we did it justice. I'd love to get any feedback you have, so feel free to email me at heydan, that's H-E-Y-D-A-N, at Y-D-H-T-Y dot com with any thoughts you might have. I will be back at the end with my final thoughts. First off, Arjun, I'm gonna we're gonna do a whole bunch of disclaimers at the top of this episode because it is Tuesday, May third, five p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, typically, with YDHTY, a lot of these episodes are recorded like a week or two in advance. There's a lot of preparation that goes into it. Neither of us knew that someone is going to leak a draft memo from the Supreme Court outlining potential plans to overturn Roe v. Wade. So we're doing this on the fly. That's the first disclaimer. So we're jumping in right as this issue is evolving. But I really thought this was just too important not to talk about. Part two, and something I feel the need to say, is that we're going to have two dudes talking about Roe v. Wade. So I'll let folks levy whatever judgment, whatever judgment on that they have. Uh, unfortunately, given the fast moving nature of this, I did not have time to balance out the gender equity. So we'll just keep that in mind for future episodes, you know, to, to bring the listener up to speed on our conversations too. If this is your first time listening to YDHTY, maybe you jumped in a couple weeks ago, you know, Arjun and I do these check-ins usually about once every month or so. Arjun's site, The Factual, 
uh, helps people find the most accurate news by allowing it to be filtered by both accuracy and partisan bias. He's got a nationwide audience that covers all ends of the political spectrum, and he routinely polls the Factual's readership to find out what they're thinking about the hottest issues of the day. And the thing I really like about talking with you, Arjun, and the thing I really love about the Factual is that your readers, again, span all colors of the political spectrum, and you get a very rich understanding as to where people's opinions are in the, you know, on, on specific issues. And so in this case, you know, part of the reason we're talking today is because you did a couple polls on Roe v. Wade uh, and, and on the Texas abortion law earlier this year. And before we get into the results, could you just, could you state for the listener, like exactly what those questions were? Sure. Yeah. So uh, the uh, poll, the most recent poll, which is back in January was really simple. Should the Supreme Court overturn Roe v. Wade? Mm -hmm. And there were 956 votes uh, and 119 comments. And as Dan mentioned, our readership spans, uh, you know, it's pretty politically balanced. It's across all 50 states and 3,000 zip codes. It's a pretty good cross-section of the U.S. Uh, the poll before that was back in September of 2021, and that was specifically about Texas. So we asked, do you support Texas's new abortion law? And that one received 1,100 votes and 187 comments. So good sample sets, uh, and hence the results are probably indicative of what the general population thinks. Yeah, and so that was what surprised me, or I guess two things that surprised me. First was how similar both polls did in terms of responses, in terms of yes and no votes. And again, just to clarify for the listener, a yes vote would be in support of greater restrictions on abortion, whether it's supporting Texas's law or supporting the overturning of Roe v. Wade. A no would be against that. And, and what I was surprised was how similar those polls were in terms of the yes, no votes, but also how similar those polls were in terms of national polling on the issue. So can you talk a little bit about how the results broke down? Yeah. So both the polls, as you said, are nearly identical. 67% said no, they don't want to overturn Roe v. Wade, or uh, no, they don't support the Texas abortion law. 27% uh, said yes, 5% said unsure. So virtually identical on both polls which is also reflective of what most national polls uh, find out. Mm -hmm. If you look at Gallup and Pew, it's roughly that, about two-thirds of Americans support Roe v. Wade and are against Texas's new abortion law. You know, it seemed like people were really conflicted over the issue. Is that fair? Absolutely. I don't think uh, there are very few people who commented where they said something like, this is a no-brainer, it's so obvious, or mm -hmm. uh, people felt like this was a very, very tough issue. And if you read the comments on both the yes and the no side, it wasn't, uh, they weren't glib comments, like the other side is stupid or the other side is uh, is just, you know, being hateful or mean. It was, this is, this is tough, but this is kind of where I fall out on the issue. The, the interesting thing, that I saw in your polls was you give people the option to vote unsure. So you can vote yes, no, or unsure. And a lot of times the unsure is actually a pretty large 
portion, but the the unsure was really a sliver. So people that's were conflicted, true. but people weren't unsure. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, I think it's more that um, many people felt they needed to have a position on this very divisive issue because it had such broad repercussions. Mm -hmm. So I think even when people felt unsure, perhaps they said, well, I'm not certain, but right now I come down on the side of yes or no. I'll make another disclaimer, which is I'm going to let my thoughts on the subject be known with the understanding that my views are pretty complex and to lay the groundwork for what we're about to talk, the two most important women in my life, my mom and my wife, both have polar opposite reactions to this <laughs> and both are on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. And so I come to this with sort of a firsthand perspective on how both parties think and there's some other stuff that happened in my life that we may get into later that have really, you know, colored my view. So at any rate, I'm going to lay that foundation with the understanding this is a highly sensitive issue. It's a highly emotional issue for folks. And some of what I say may end up rubbing you the wrong way, regardless of which side you fall on. Maybe. We'll find out. So let's jump in then. So let's talk about the 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 yes Vote. So the people who were in support of greater restriction on abortions, what were some of the bigger themes in that group? Yeah. So, you know, oddly enough, it wasn't as much pure comments from people that are pro-life, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, there definitely are some comments about life begins at conception, but it was far fewer than perhaps uh, most people might expect. A bunch of the reasons that people wanted to overturn Roe v. Wade are not because they wanted stricter abortion laws, but because they felt it was either judicial overreach. So they thought that uh, this was the Supreme Court sort of making law mm -hmm. versus just ruling on the law in the books. Um, many people actually, funnily enough, said they wanted to overturn Roe v. Wade because they wanted better abortion rights. So for example, they said, there is no law enshrining abortion rights in the Constitution. We don't actually have that. So what they said is overturn Roe v. Wade because it's not actually what, it's about privacy. It, it didn't really, it wasn't meant to be about abortion. And then actually create a law on abortion. Have Congress do its job. Don't have Supreme Court do that job. Uh, so I thought those were interesting, very different than what I was perhaps expecting or what most might expect for people that said we should overturn Roe v. Wade. They actually just thought either the ruling was flawed or there should be a more explicit law. Um, others are fairly nuanced as well. Some people said, look, this is a really tough issue because you have to balance the rights of the mother and the unborn child. And so they said, it's not, I can understand people saying, you know, women have rights and should have rights over their bodies and their health, but we have to look out for the rights of this unborn child. Um, which is, I guess, maybe the standard pro-life argument, but it was yeah. nicely phrased the way it was put in our comments. And then the last one I thought that was interesting was people saying, you know, when Roe v. Wade was, uh, when that ruling came out back in the 70s, healthcare was not as advanced as it, as it is today. And so the ruling said, you know, no abortions after 26 weeks because that's when the fetus is viable. And what a number of people were saying is, hey, fetuses much 
is viable a lot earlier than 26 weeks now because of the advances of healthcare. So Roe v. Wade, as it stands, is not appropriate. We should bring that limit down. And actually, this is the thing. A a bunch of people in the overturned Roe v. Wade camp said, overturn it, but do have abortion rights just more strict. And many people were sort of coalescing around 15 weeks, for example. So I, I read the judgment years ago on Roe v. Wade. And the interesting thing was a lot of the jurisprudence they used to reach that conclusion was actually based on inheritance rights. Because there were court cases that said you couldn't will X property to an an unborn child because they might not enter the world. And so a lot of the viability arguments were built on that, which I found pretty interesting piece of legal geekery. I want to kind of jump through a couple of these individually because the the Supreme Court argument actually really jumped out at me. And I'll, I'll post a link to the polls too in the show notes so folks can check it out. But what I found so interesting was the fact so many people cited judicial overreach as an argument. I mean, I, th- I do think it's a Trojan horse. I don't think you find many people who are like, oh, you know, I don't think the government should regulate abortion, but I don't think it's the Supreme Court's role to decide. But the the interesting thing about that is that really echoes a lot of conversations I had earlier in the year, probably around November, for those of you who want to go into the back catalog around the Supreme Court and around people's general, around the idea that, you know, the Supreme Court has has gotten a lot more powerful and has really started to do the job of Congress. And it seemed to me like a lot of people who were saying, hey, the Supreme Court shouldn't do this, were really advocating for Congress to get involved and weigh in on the subject. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Um, and and great point that, you know, maybe this is a Trojan horse. I feel like this is um, this is an issue that even I don't feel very certain about my views. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's it's quite a challenging issue. But yeah, it does seem like a lot of the comments who said overturn the law or even the ones that um, opposed the Texas, Texas abortion law, which funnily enough were, there were a lot of pro-life people that have, opposed that law because they felt the use of private citizens to enforce a law was just unwise and would cause all kinds of issues. But in both cases, you'd see a lot of people saying, why don't we have Congress do its job? And whether you think it should be at a federal level or at a state level, the point is to have your lawmakers actually set a law for this. And if they did, and they saw that poll after poll says 67% of Americans want women to have abortion rights, albeit limited in some way or um, with with a fair number of restrictions, then there should be a law as such. That seemed like a pretty clear comment time and again. Now, there was a really interesting comment that I have to highlight, because uh, as I was reading through the comments, I also saw uh, some of the rebuttals. And again, on the on the factual, you have the ability to comment on somebody else's comment on a specific poll. Generally, people are pretty respectful. Uh, this rebuttal actually was really interesting. The person said, Roe v. Wade was about a woman's right to privacy in her decisions. A complete overturning means the government can force vaccinations, make universal health care the law of the land, the right to force males to have vasectomies until they can prove they're worthy to have kids. So ask yourself... <laughs> Do you really want the government involved in healthcare decisions? I found that very interesting. 
I found that very interesting because the law of unintended consequences definitely comes out in this specific instance. And I think a lot of people highlighted that. Yeah, I think that's it. And it's, um, it's why I, I'm, I'm hopeful that our courts uh, come to the right conclusion because this stuff is hard. I don't yeah. know that I have the legal background. I mean, I don't have the legal background or the, the thought process to think about what the ramifications are if this thing gets overturned. So I'm, I'm hopeful that smart people in the courts make a good decision. Yeah, it's a, it is a, it is, it is a, a tricky one. And, and I think as I was, especially as I was reading through the no comments, which we'll get into in a moment, these were people who favored leaving the laws as they were a lot of those comments resonated with me because I think a lot of people were saying uh, they're not neutral to the concept of abortion, um, mm -hmm. but they also didn't feel it was necessarily the government's role to get involved or that if the government got involved, that would create a, a lot of, a, a lot of unintended consequences. An interesting anecdote uh, that can help understand this, help people understand this issue better for the folks that are against uh, abortion rights or want to overturn Roe v. Wade, comes from uh, the author Diane Hessen's book, Our Common Ground. Um, and I think, you know, we interviewed Diane Hessen for our podcast, Unbiased, a while ago. And um, it's great. She spent five years talking to 500 voters all across the country, interviewing them repeatedly to understand uh, their ideas. And it was fairly politically balanced and she just she has phenomenal insights. And so in the issue of abortion, she said, you know, there isn't a whole lot of common ground, to be honest. But if you look at why people are opposed to abortion, it has more to do with the fact that they don't want it to be used willy-nilly. And they want it to be a really thoughtful decision. And so the story that Diane recounts is... Um, there's a voter that she was speaking with for many, many months or years, I think, a Republican voter, I think, in the Midwest. And, uh, you know, a very, a very uh, religious, uh, definitely pro-life. And uh, one day he calls Diane and he says, hey, Diane, can we talk on the phone? There's something urgent that's happened. And so she calls and he says, um, my daughter, my teenage daughter got pregnant and we decided to have an abortion. And she was like, wait, what? You know, we, every time we've talked, you've told me how important this is and, and that you, you don't want to ever, you know, like abortion is wrong and it's against uh, everything you believe in. Why are you okay with doing this for your daughter? And he said, you know, it's a really hard decision. I'm still very conflicted about it. But we prayed and deliberated a lot. We talked as a family. We cried a lot. We went over it, went through all the different outcomes and then that's where we landed. And so Diane's takeaway from it was what I said earlier, which is that this person felt like this was a really hard thing to do. And then they decided to reach it. His impression was that for a lot of liberals, they don't put anywhere near as much thought or deliberation into the decision to have abortion, which I realize is probably wrong. If you've spoken to anyone that's ever gone through an abortion, Almost in every case, it was a horribly painful decision. 
gut-wrenching, something that still haunts them months, years after. Um, so I guess that person's views of people who are pro-choice might be inaccurate. But I just thought that that view was interesting to understand how they could have come to that conclusion. Well, and I think that's where I I I come down on it, is, is ultimately I, I don't think anybody reaches the decision lightly. And, and I do know from... You know, look, I, I, I do know from being raised around the pro-life movement that there is a general perception that people regard it like they'd regard, you know, taking an aspirin or something like that. Like there, I think there's just general position. There's just there's there's a couple of misperceptions on the issue. I think one is that it's uh, a decision that's made very cavalierly. Uh, the the second is really an underestimation of what's involved in, you know, like birthing a child, you know, what's involved in carrying a child to term. And, uh, and, and, and I think the lack of support many women have. And so I, I, I do, I, I do think there's generally an oversimplification of a very complex issue. Uh, that 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 falls on the you know on the I think on the pro life side, um, yeah I'd, I'd I'd argue there there are some oversimplifications on the pro choice choice side as well, you know I think generally when you when you when you talk exclusively in terms of constitutional rights or you talk in terms of the fetus not being a life, that's where you start to get into a lot of areas that maybe a lot of Americans aren't a hundred percent comfortable with. Um, if you talk to people that are pro-choice and you take it to an extreme, you say, okay, how about an abortion in the 38th week? Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, 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 that's wrong. And so the, the retort then is, okay, so you agree that there's some point in the gestational period where this is, an abortion is not okay. And once you agree on that, if you're saying that, you know, right up until, you know, like a week before they're born is not okay, because it looks like a pretty full-grown human at that point, then now we're just quibbling about where that line is to draw. And you might think it's closer to 26 or maybe after 26. I think it's way before that, closer to 15 or 12 or 6 or what have you. And I think that's where, you know, neither side can be truly absolutist on this. Mm -hmm. If you're truly pro-choice, you should say, well, right up until the day you're born, you know, the mother has the right to do whatever she wants. But that's almost not at all the case, I think, with mo most pro-choice people. Yeah. And similarly, pro-life people, you'd say, oh, okay, so like the day after you're, you're saying you can't do that? I mean, what is it, one cell? <laughs> Suddenly you can't control one cell in your body? That's mm -hmm. the rule? That's a, you know, the, and they're like, no, not there, but, you know, maybe it's a heartbeat or something. So now it's just... Again, we're quibbling over the line. So I think when you tear apart the issue, you find out that even for the people that seem very stern, pro-life or pro-choice, there's even gray for them. Even for them, they're like, I don't know if I would be okay with this. And so now it's really just become a question of where does that line get drawn? I, 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 think, you're, I think you're right there. And there's, there's a couple things I'll point out. The, the first off is getting back to the to the no voters on the factual. Uh, most of them fell into this gray zone that you see in polling. So generally what you see, and this is 
some polling mm-hmm. done by Gallup, Marist, and and some other sources. But anywhere from you know ten to fifteen percent of Americans feel abortion should be illegal in all cases. Another twenty five to thirty percent want it to be legal in all cases. So those are the the two extremes. But that also means that you know mm-hmm. fifty five to sixty five percent of people fall into that gray area. And I, I, I think a lot of people choose to stay out of the argument because they're on to, to one side, they're advocating murder to the other side, they're effectively trying to control women's reproductive rights. And, and nobody wants to be lumped into either camp. But I, I think it kind of gets to a problem with the way we discuss policy in this country, which is if you look outside the U.S., there's not, it's not a debate over is this a good thing or not. The question is, does it do more harm or less harm legalized? You know, is it, is it overall better for society to keep the government out of this issue. And that's the way they talk about it. Whereas I think here in the U.S., we tend to demand, it it, it tends to be, how do I put it? In the U.S., we tend to frame it as a moral question and as something that the government has to, the government has to side, has to decide on the side of morality, whatever that morality is. Since you brought up the point about how outside the United States this issue is treated, uh, there's a very good article in the New York Times um, that is titled "On Abortion Law: The U.S. Is Unusual. Without Roe, It Would Be Two. And so, basically, saying that the U.S. is very unusual to begin with in the way that we deal abor- with abortion, but it's not actually um, what most people think. So they have a really good map on what abortion rights are for each country, and it turns out there's really only about 15 countries that are like the United States that allow uh, abortion for almost any reason beyond 15 weeks. And it's your traditional Western countries like the U.S. and Canada and Australia, but also places like China or France or or Sweden. Um, But then beyond that, the vast, vast majority of the world is actually where there are some restrictions, whether it's uh, banned outright, uh, which is less and less the case because in most countries they're expanding rights, but it is limited to some degree and you need to provide a, a sufficient reason, health, sometimes mm-hmm. socioeconomic reasons, um, or it's just flat out you're not allowed uh, after 15 weeks of uh, gestation. So I thought that was interesting. For some reason, I just, I guess I'm ignorant of the issue and, and the more I read, I was like, oh, actually the U.S., and, and Canada are actually kind of the outliers here. Most countries do have some sort of restrictions to around 15 weeks. I think it gets back to that absolutist, the absolutist nature of our, our, our politics. Um, I, I also think that part of what makes the issue so contentious and part of what makes it easy for people to take a hard line, especially those on the who, who would favor the overturning of Roe v. Wade, is the fact that it is it's something that's done in silence. If you look at opinions on gay marriage versus opinions on abortion, abortions kind of stayed the same, more or less. Gay marriage has totally changed. And part of the reason is because 
more more people who are gay are out of the closet and and so that really changes the dynamic i i i I wouldn't necessarily say we have to put it on women to come out with this because i think it should be private but i just wonder if there were more stories out there like the one you mentioned uh that diane hessen shared i really wonder if that would change the conversation at all I definitely think so. Um, there's another really great essay that I'll uh, reference. It's by uh, an author named Caitlin Flanagan, who writes for The Atlantic. She's arguably a moderate conservative. Um, a label might be hard. She's just a great writer, and she has a range of very interesting, intelligent opinions. And she wrote this article on abortion, and she basically said how dishonest the debate mm-hmm. around abortion is. And so her uh, thesis in that uh, essay was that women for a long time prior to Roe v. Wade basically handled their own abortions in very dangerous, illegal ways, uh, including using Lysol to terminate pregnancies. And um, the essay is beautifully written. It's heart-wrenching. It's a little graphic at times. But you sort of start to get an understanding of what women must be going through when they're faced with this issue and they have to deal with it privately. And there's so many consequences of it, um, shame and ostracization and expulsion from family. Like it's just, the whole thing is awful. And so Caitlin's uh, point at the end is, you know, we can debate all we want about whether this should be law or not. The reality is when it's not law or when it's not easy to make, women are still going to have abortions. It's just going to be much, much worse in much more deadly circumstances, and a lot more women are going to die. And maybe some people are okay with that outcome, I guess, but I think most people would say that's a that's a horrible state of affairs that women are resorting to this. I think to me what the, the takeaway I have from both the polls, from the story from Diane Hessen, is that the majority of people want women to have the right to abort a baby but they want it with some fairly tough restrictions so that it is not exercised frivolously, at least in the minds of people that are worried about this this right being taken too far. And so some sort of gestational limit, some sort of doctor's advice, some sort of special situations, rape, incest, et cetera. Um, In many of those instances, I think the majority of the American public would actually support a woman's right to decide. Uh, And so it's not a perfect answer for people that are pro-choice or pro-life, but it might be the compromise that the majority of the country wants and we have to live with. Mm. I'm hopeful that somewhere in the future, our lawmakers, whether at the state or the federal level, can actually codify this into law so that we don't have to rely on this, this court ruling from 40 years ago that seems rather precarious. Do you know, I'm 100% with you there. And I hate to be dispassionate about an issue that people are so emotional about and that touches people so deeply. But the one thing I will say is I do hope that this starts a very serious conversation uh, amongst everybody about how we feel and about what we feel a, a woman's right to dictate the course of her life is. And to be frank, what protections we feel the unborn have. And so I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm a fan of the Supreme Court ruling. I told everyone I was going to reveal my opinion. But I would also say that 
if this means that there's a meaningful conversation around it and that we decide as a society what we feel we're comfortable with on the whole, I don't think that's a terrible thing. I think if we keep this volley between extremes, it's just going to continue to be an unproductive exercise in political trench warfare. I think the uh, unfortunate outcome is that in the short run, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, a number of states will outright ban it, ban abortions, and a number of states will allow it and say, you know, and, and be perhaps very uh, forgiving in the circumstances. And so what will happen is that you will have a more divided nation in some sense, where some people in some states have a certain right and in other states don't. And then people who have enough money might travel from one to the other to get the services they can't get in their home state, which means folks that don't have the money or the means to travel or a way to get there will not have this ability. And again, even if you're pro-life, I think the point is you'd sort of see that unevenness as being unfair. You know, just now where you're born in America geographically might determine whether or not you can do something. And that seems unfair in some ways. So in the short run, I think this is not going to be particularly great uh, until the states sort of figure it out. And again, this is all assuming that Roe v. Wade will be overturned, which it does seem quite likely now, given this yeah. leaked ruling. Well, Arjun, I appreciate you joining me at the last minute to discuss a highly contentious and complex issue on the fly. You've been a trooper. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dan. It was a pleasure as always. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did and feel more people should hear conversations like this, please share it in your little podcasty player and leave it a review. I've also included links to the articles Arjun referenced and the polls from the factual in the show notes. You can find that in the episode description or on ydhty.com. Just click the link that says episodes in the upper right-hand corner and ye shall find. Now, a few things became clear after giving this discussion another listen. The first is that Americans in general are both uncomfortable with some aspects of abortion, but also feel an outright ban would be harmful. Polling shows that the number of people who think abortion should be illegal in all circumstances has hovered somewhere around 20% since 1975. That has not budged. The number of people who think it should be legal in all circumstances is a little larger, but it's still a minority. And this would indicate that people feel there should be a nuanced discussion around the issue, which isn't something the Supreme Court is well-equipped to do. And I almost feel like the all-or-nothing tone of the pro-life movement was in a large part a reaction to the court circumventing this discussion in 1973, and we may now see the pendulum swing in the exact opposite direction with this ruling. And the last point is that it's very difficult for us to trust that the type of nuanced conversation that we need to happen would happen at either the state and the federal level. because. The level of polarization on this issue is such that neither side would give any ground. And when you add to this the fact that women are heavily underrepresented in both state and federal governments, we have a debate where the people most affected aren't even involved. And I always hammer on how all contentious issues lead back to electoral reform. And it should be noted that studies have showed reforms such as ranked choice voting will reduce polarization 
and also increase female representation, two things we need to really have the kind of discussion required for this issue. There is a great bill on the floor of the House right now, the Fair Rep Act, that does just that. You can call your congressperson. Just saying. As always, music courtesy of QuellerTac, YDHTY's producer and editorial advisor is the admirable Admiral Adam Yaffe. YDHTY is produced in loving memory of the big Gino, Jason Putney. Until the next, this is Dan Sally. Ladios.